This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad. Welcome once again on your journey to product mastery. Today, we're talking about applying agile and lean development practices to product projects that aren't purely software-based. Yes, it does have a role in other projects, and a lot of you have already found that out. Our guest is Brian Cohn, and he began his career with a role in optical engineering and mathematics. And for the last 10 years, he served as the lean product development specialist at Danfoss and has recently co-founded the Aspire Innovation, a group that applies a business acceleration model to help organizations be more innovative. And as always, anything that we talk about, we're taking detailed notes as we go. And we also provide a one-page action guide for you to take action on the topics immediately that we want you to take away. You'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 354. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Chad. It's a pleasure to be here and and an honor. Glad we can be talking. Uh, You have some really good experience to share with us, and we'll get into uh, kind of how how does Agile and and Lean sort of approaches fit uh, elsewhere than just software. But first, I'm curious about your journey just a bit. Um, How did you end up working into a product role coming especially from optics and mathematics and then doing that lean specialist role at Danfoss? Well, I started as an engineering role, most starting originally in defense organization, moved around a little bit and got to a point where the brightest engineers that I could imagine working with, but no idea of how to actually take something to market. So that got me to go back to school and I went to a program at the University of Minnesota that's a combination of technical and MBA is called the management of technology. And ever since then, I've really been working in project management, product management, and really trying to help our organizations develop better products. That's very good. Yeah, that experience as an engineer, I was an electrical engineer originally, and found out the work that we were doing was very much product work, but had no formal understanding of what that actually was, right? Just trying to figure it out as we went. And my connection became the Product Development Management Association. That's where I learned a lot about actual product management. That also happens to be where we're connected. But kudos yes. to you to going back to school to trying to learn more about, about this discipline as well. So like you, I've been you know, work involved with the PDMA for a long time. I actually joined shortly after I got done with that school in the mid-90s, and which you know has eventually led me on my career eventually into Danfoss, as I said, in this role as a lean product development specialist. And just a little bit about what I did there. And I sort of like to think about that in some of the framework that Steve Stuckey had in his interview with you a couple of months ago and around thinking about practices and product process and portfolio. And really, we've... <laughs> touch on all three of those in, in the practice world. I would facilitate workshops, tell people to get better requirements and figure out how to launch a product better, uh, do project planted, a lot of learning about Scrum and Agile and a lot of training for the organization embedded with a few teams to help them work better. On the process side, uh, a lot of work on StageGate process was the owner of that for the organization. And then even in the portfolio side, we spent a lot time deploying some resource management software and really got something presidents of what they called the divisions. These are you know, you know, half billion dollar internal companies, get them involved in understanding what's happening in these product development projects and investments that they're making. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, sounds like a, a lot of continuous improvement on processes yes. and trying to get everyone on the same page in some regard about what about methodologies we use. Yes, there's a lot of work on trying to come up with spread the good practices. I don't like to talk about best practices in this world of, of product development because we're always trying to do something new and unique, and it's all about doing something that's good and appropriate. Yeah, yeah, for that situation. Good. Speaking of processes and methodologies, we have uh, yes. agile methodologies. There's a collection of them. That's really kind of a philosophy approach. Some people think of it as a process, but there's more than one. The one that is typically used is Scrum. That's what we run into most frequently yep. these days. And this was originally formulated as a process for developing software and have more responsiveness from customers' needs and allow us a way to respond more quickly. But it's been used in many other areas, right? So we have taken Scrum and applied it to other problems for sure. What are the issues with applying Scrum to projects that just don't involve software, such as the hardware projects that you've been a part of? Yeah, there's a few different things. One is... I really think of development of hardware as being very iterative, a little more than incremental, and software development being incremental. And the way I might want to think about this in a different world is imagining I'm a baker, and I can be maybe two different kinds of bakers. <clears throat> One is I'm making a wedding cake, and I can think about this incrementally. I make the first layer, the, second, the first tier, the second tier, and build that up uh, into the full cake. But if I'm in the business of trying to put a thousand cakes a day into a store, I've got to work in a different process. I need to sort of build my first whole cake. And, you know, it's probably not very good, but it's a whole cake. And then iterate and say, okay, how do I make that whole cake better? And go through that a few times. And then also, how do I make the process of replicating it better? And as I said, that's really done in this iterative process, a little more than incremental. And Scrum works really well in software because I can do really the same little process to develop a piece of code, a piece of software, do that over and over and build it up. Associated with that, you know, a lot of things in Scrum is built around this idea of a product owner, someone who can prioritize the features of the product and that those turn into the work of the product, of the project. In Hardware development, I, just as we talked about the kick, I've got to sort of develop everything together and there becomes a, this sort of dissociation a bit of the features that the customer-facing product owner can guide the team on versus the work that needs to be done within the project. The third thing is in hardware development, we have a lot more disciplines involved here. You know, I have not only, I may have three or four different kinds of engineering. I need people from operations, from procurement, from quality, from sales and marketing. And so, you know, one of these ideas is comes to these sort of T-shape that can, we can spread the work from person to person. Often our teams have sort of one person from each discipline and they're so different that it's hard to move the work around from person to person. And then finally, when I'm developing some, some hardware, I've got all kinds of things that are happening outside of the project team. I need to buy components. I need to you know, buy tooling for components. I need to buy a production system. And all of those things take time. And I would be wonderful if I could get you know, a casting made in two weeks, but it's, you know, you know, it's usually three, four, six months, maybe these days, it's two years with all the demand in the market. So all of those things make Scrum challenging and it doesn't quite fit. 
Yeah, a lot more interdependence work, it sounds like, right? We have these connections. Yes. And lately, as, as I have talked with some people involved in hardware product development, the supply chain is the thing that is their biggest headache. And this is in a, a COVID time, right? And so supply yep. chain has gotten seriously messed up, but that creates pressures. What, what do we do with that time? And then how do we recover when we can't get our hands on what we actually need to get our hands on? And that's not a pressure that software projects tend to feel. So very Correct. different. Yep. Okay. So I, I want to dive in a bit uh, about how, how do we actually explore, you know, using a Scrum-like approach, using, you know, what you've learned from Lean and the like from your role there at Danfoss to hardware projects. And it stood out to me in, gosh, uh, Bob Cooper, I couldn't think of his name offhand, Bob Cooper's latest edition, which I think was 2018, of his book, uh, Winning at uh, Products. So he's the one that gave a stage gate uh, just based on research yep. of, of recognizing what companies were doing. So he codified that, created a stage gate. Yep. But in that book, I'm pretty sure if I'm not quoting him wrong, um, he said he has not encountered a hardware project that is not using some form of agile, specifically price scrum, as part of that project. And that just caught my attention, you know, that, you know, stage gate has become many different forms of hybrids that usually have some kind of sprints taking place in them or something. And him as a StageGate person says, hey, hardware projects, they've adopted agile methodologies of of some sort. And you're going to help us work through this a little bit. And in your experience, you have a three-stage process. I coined it the D3 process. I don't know what you call it, but <laughs> I, I noticed that each word starts with a D and there's three of them. So, and, and I thought the 3D process was too confusing. So, right. <laughs> We had exactly the same thoughts and we do call the D3 model, sometimes D cubed model okay. for these three phases. Um, and it's sort of coming back to a little bit to the, to the thought about using agile methods and mindsets in in hardware development that, you know, if we go back to the agile manifesto and we think about what are we trying to accomplish when we're trying to work in a mode where there's a fair amount of uncertainty, you know, we come into a project with an idea of there's a problem to be solved. We don't necessarily know how to solve it. And so there's a lot of things that come from Scrum and come from some of the other Agile methods that can be helpful. We find there's a lot of value in time boxes. If we were to try to go back to the traditional, as one might call it, project management, we would put together a Gantt chart of everything that everybody was going to do for the next two years. It would be sort of an escapade of folly because, you know, First of all, I can never know exactly what I'm going to do in two or three or six months from now, but I also know that I'm going to learn a lot and I need to have a way to adapt. So uh, we do need to be agile in hardware development. It's just that following Scrum by the book and some of the other software product uh, product development processes don't work because of the things we talked about uh, earlier. And as we talk about this D3 model, what I do see is these projects go through fa- through a number of phases that, again, don't exactly exist in, hard- in software development. And again, we talked about starting a project with an idea. 
that somebody in marketing says, hey, we know there's this problem in the market, or maybe it's our operation saying, hey, we've got this thing and it's too expensive and we need to you know, be to be profitable and maybe even the market says to be cost price competitive we need to find a way to lower the price so and as we put all of that together we just start with a lot of things we don't know and we go through a first stage in, that i see in these projects of with a lot of decisions to make because we have to go from this wild idea and probably a little bit better than a sketch on a napkin to a product concept and to a concept for how we're going to manufacture the product and how we're going to market and sell the product. So a lot of decisions to be made there. And my experience is when we're in that sort of decision mode, there's always somebody that says, but do you think about that? And would you get me one more piece of information before I make the decision? And this phase can go on interminably. And so we need some model, something to help us move forward. And there's a couple of elements that I, that I really see here. One is I'm a big advocate of the work that Catherine Radica has done and, and rapid learning cycles and thinking about this, what we call discovery phase uh, and building it around the decisions that we need to be make and thinking about when do we make certain big key decisions we don't want to make them early. We want to have the information and the knowledge that we need to make those decisions, but we, you know, we don't want to delay them till too late. And so we really want to build this model of thinking about when do we need to make each decision? What knowledge do we need to gain to make each decision? And then we want to put this on a cadence because, you know, in knowledge work, the you know, work expands to fill the time available and then some. And so having a cadence that says, we're going to investigate this for the next two weeks, and here's, the, here's what we believe is the most important information to learn about to be able to make the decision, do that for two weeks or four weeks or whatever that agreed time is, make that decision. The other advantage of having this cadence, these time boxes, is it gives us a time to step back and think about, okay, this is what we learned in our last time box. How do we need to adjust what we want to learn in the next one so that we can always be learning the most important, the most valuable things? Because with each learning cycle, we will learn that there's something we didn't know. It sort of comes to a little bit of the sort of the Donald Rumsfeld idea of we're on, we're taking those unknown unknowns and learning things, and now they become known unknowns. Good. Okay. So part of all this, I, I like the mindset perspective in the first place, right? That we're still have this need to be responsive to customers, to the problem definition, not to yep. do our pre-planning. And, and, you know, my background is traditional project management once upon a time to plan out everything. And we know in, in 18 months or two years, when we deliver the system, so much has changed and we have learned so much along the way that that needs to be incorporated. So the, the value of these time boxes is really important. And they do. They help people have energy and move something forward and instead of just kind of sitting around for, oh, that milestone is due next week. I guess we better get started on that. Um, <laughs> I find uh, having that cadence of yep. work is just a much more satisfying way of working and keeps the team better integrated, I think, as well. And, and yeah, you mentioned those... Catherine's work on rapid learning cycles. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well, since she was a, a previous guest talking about that. The other thing that I really like about having a cadence here is it avoids what we, you know, what we call the student syndrome is, you know, 
what happens when somebody gives you an assignment? You say, first of all, oh, that's not enough time to do it. Will you give me a little more? And then you don't work on it until three days before it's due. But by having those frequent deadlines, you really, you keep the pace of work going. Yeah, and work gets done in faster time and everyone feels better about it, I think, too. So this is good. So how does that create the foundation now for the D3 framework? What we see in the development of hardware projects is them going through three phases. The first we call a discovery phase, where we start with sort of an idea on the back of a napkin, a core value proposition that we want to deliver to our customers. And we turn that into concepts for the product, for the way that we're going to manufacture and assemble it, and also for the way we're going to take it to market and launch it. Once we have those concepts, we go into a detailing phase where we move from that concept from an engineering perspective into a form, fit, and function working prototype. So we know that it works. We know that we have a way to deliver the value proposition we want. We also have the design of the manufacturing system and the assembly system, and we've really designed how we're going to sell it. And from there, we move into a deployment phase where we now work on the commercialization. How do we ensure that we can ramp this up and make lots of them with high quality? How do we make sure that our sales organization is ready to sell? And so when we get to the end, when we get to product release, we have a product that is easy to manufacture, hopefully inexpensive to manufacture, and we've got customers that are ready to buy it. Okay, let's dive into each one in more detail. So discovery is our first first step here. Yes. Tell us what what takes place in discovery. So I said in this discovery phase, we move from the idea on the back of a napkin to having well-formulated concepts for the product and process and launch. And this is where we lay out that set of decisions that we want to make and then the gaps of knowledge that we want to close that we can make those decisions and, you know, we also, one of the things that I've done, we talked in the beginning about workshop facilitation. There's also a lot of things we can do by having workshops to bring people together. I mean, I think we've all seen these requirements documents that are 400 pages long, took two years to develop. Everybody said yes to, but nobody ever read. We actually like to get people together into something called a, a market requirements event, get people to sit down and do all of that in about three days. Yeah, to actually understand the requirements and get on the same page. Yes. And hopefully when they describe who the customer is, they're actually talking about the same person and figuring out when that's right. not the case, right? And get alignment between yes. them. I yeah. expect yeah. in that process, in that workshop and in discovery in general, you're also looking at how the problem itself is framed. Because I often find that the yes. initial representation of the problem if we think about it differently, we come up with much more, we, we add value ultimately by framing the problem maybe in a larger scope. I usually find it going up helps, sometimes going smaller helps, but spending time about how we're actually framing the problem becomes important. What do you think about that? I think that's really important. And I've done a number of project kickoff events and also these market requirements events and getting those people together and diverging on what you're doing before you converge is very important to get those ideas out there. And it's important to hear everybody because when we put all those people in the room, they start feeding off of each other. And one of the first things I always discover in both of those kinds of workshops is A, there isn't alignment on what the problem is and that people bring a lot of new new and important perspectives 
to what the problem is uh, that we're trying to solve. Yeah, exactly. I've done some design thinking workshops for companies and same thing, spot on, right? There isn't alignment initially about the problem. And often the presenting problem ends up not being the actual problem that needs to be solved. So and that's why I kind of harp on this reframing thing. Okay. So that's discovery. Before going on to your next D, I want to have a shout out for our sponsor here, which is the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience. This is a service that my group provides to companies to get everyone on the same page as we're talking about this. Usually product managers, product teams, sometimes executives, directors. But over the course of nine weeks, meeting for an hour and 15 minutes each week, we share a holistic perspective of product management. So everyone walks away with a, the same common foundation and same common language about what are the tools, processes, practices that we have available and what is it that we do. Um, in those nine weeks, they're applying that information to actual projects. So they're changing their behavior along the way as they put things into practice. We find groups collaborating uh, differently throughout that. And also breaking down some barriers, uh, building trust better, and also having a much more customer focus. They kind of start discussions about what's the customer problem and not what they may have, where they may have started it before, like in terms of uh, specifications or, or internal uh, perspectives. So that customer problem is really helpful. This is a great way to get teams moving faster in the same direction together. And a lot of us, and you, you shared this, Brian, as part of your path to uh, product management, you, know, you got fascinated kind of with that product perspective and you went back to school to study that further. A lot of us in this yeah. product role or a lot of us leading groups haven't really had an opportunity to look at what is the actual discipline of product management. And this helps by getting everyone on the same page. But I call it an experience because it's far beyond training. We, we do see this behavior change and, and a lot of other uh, benefits that come from this. So if anyone is interested in such a thing, you can find out more information by going to productmasterynow.com slash RPM, and you'll see uh, details as well as an opportunity for us to talk if you think it might fit your group. Okay. So we have discovery as the first D we just talked through, and now we're moving on to, I think it's detailing. Detail, that's correct. Okay. So we've come out of this discovery phase with this concept for a product. Maybe we've done some very early proof of, of concept work. We know that some of the key things pull together, but now we need to pull the whole product together. And as I talked about in the beginning, this is a place where we really think about the product coming together in iterations of increasing maturity. So we want to think about in this phase is, okay, what you know, how do we mature this? What is that first prototype of the whole product? What does it need to do? What questions do we need to answer with it? And then think about that and how many iterations it's going to take until I have a design that meets all you know, of the requirements or everything that I can reasonably test with prototypes. And here we now end up with these sort of two cycles that one is these whole product iterations and because of externalities and things like that, these are things that can take anywhere between three months and a year and maybe even sometimes longer. But again, it's still important to keep this shorter time box cadence going for planning to make sure they're moving forward, make sure that we're making progress on it. And again, going back to this cake thing, I've made my first cake. It wasn't 
wasn't very good. I've adjusted the recipe, iced it better, started thinking about, okay, now what kinds of machines can do that in the maybe the third iteration so that we're making this thing look more and more and more like something that you can buy in the store. Right. And I've taken a lot of inspiration in this from uh, some people from Auxilium in a process they call modified agile for hardware development. And they really are advocates of this. And we've had a lot of discussions about what are the right roles. And again, coming back to this, is this product owner, scrum master, the right split in hardware? And we find that it looks much more like a product manager who's responsible for the requirements and a pro and something that's a little more like a project manager who's helping make sure that the work gets prioritized and gets done and we're just looking at the internal team dynamics. Okay. So from a engineering perspective, if we're talking about specifications, and I realize not everyone uses specifications or cares about them, but there's kind of this peeling the onion back approach when we're working with specifications, yes. where we start with the kind of coarser perspective of what we think this product is about, and then we get into it yep. more, and we're, we're adding more detail, and we're we're doing our prototypes and testing and learning and testing and learning, and till we get down to something that is actually manufacturing. And in that process of manufacturing, we, we're probably also looking at, well, how do, do we construct this in a manner that makes it easier to manufacture as well? And we might have a few iterations for that to make it more manufacturable, serviceable, those sort of things. Um, and, and that sounds like the work that's going on in detailing. We actually advocate doing that. How are we going to make this more manufacturable in the discovery phase? Okay. That if you don't start with the concept of something that is manufactured, or we think a little bit more about assemble in that phase, mm -hmm. you get into the detail, then you, you know, it's too late when you get deep into the detailing phase to make it easy to assemble. So we really want to do that design for assembly work up front. Okay, very good. Yeah, because it's an important part that comes later. It yep. improves quality and lowers cost. Okay, so, so detailing is getting our hands fully around this, testing what we need to do, making our cake better, and getting to a point yes. where it sounds like we're ready to scale this to actually make our 1,000 cakes a day. Right. Well, we should be thinking about how we're going to scale this up in the detailing phase. And ideally, at the end of the detail phase, I have not only this product that I can make once in the lab, but that I've got a system design, maybe not built yet to be able to, to replicate it and make a lot of them. And that really takes us into the deployment phase where now we're working on how do we replicate this and, and really more demonstrating that we can replicate this. And in this phase, the uncertainty is much lower. I mean, we've got a design, we know that it works, we've put it together by hand, uh, and so this starts looking less agile method, more conventional project management method. It's also a stage that doesn't lend itself to a lot of natural iterations uh, or natu you know, natural iterations, the way we talked about these prototypes getting more and more matured in the detailing phase. There isn't that sort of natural case. We still think there's value in time boxing, having some iterative planning for it. But as we look at sort of agile type methods, it can be much more Kanban inspired than Scrum inspired as we get through this. And it can also just be done with more conventional sort of Gantt chart sorts of things because a lot of that, a lot of the time in this deployment phase, we're 
waiting for tools to get manufactured. We're waiting for production representative parts to come in from our supply chain. And you know that <clears throat> those are things that have, they may have uncertainty in how long they're going to do, but hopefully at this point, not much uncertainty about whether they can be done. Okay. Yeah. As uncertainty lowers, we can do more planning, right? We, we have yes. our hands around what to expect and it's work that we are more accustomed to as well. So that makes a big difference. Okay. So your D3 framework, discovery, understanding what the problem is, bringing people together, getting everyone on the same page, thinking about where we're going. Detail, as I described it, kind of peeling through the onion to have a clear understanding of what it actually is. It's going to be built, the manufacturing aspect of this, working through those prototypes, iterating, uh, test, learn, and improve. And then deployment, now we're ready to do the scaling. And this is more of a project management activity dependent on supply chains and other things that happen. This is excellent. Appreciate you sharing the 3D framework. I just said 3D. Your D3 framework, not to confuse people. <laughs> and as listeners know, we do like an innovation quote around here. What quote did you bring for us and what does that mean to you? Yep. So my quote is uh, from Pasteur, which is chance favors the prepared mind. And what I see in, in product development is that there's opportunities out there all over the place. And usually the elegant solution wasn't as obvious in hindsight and, you know, it didn't happen before. So it couldn't have been as obvious in foresight. We think about things like yeah, putting an eraser on the end of a pencil. And to be able to see, to make those connections takes a very prepared mind. You have to be open. You have to have sort of a broad uh, breadth of knowledge and experience to be able to see how to connect the dots that other people didn't see. Yep. The being ready when we are called to the moment makes a big difference, right? So chance favors yes, the prepared mind. And connecting those dots is a very good perspective. It is one reason why I, I very much appreciate the cross-discipline sort of work, because people look at things differently than those of us that tend to make the same assumptions about, about work. There's one reason why, why we're talking. Although my background originally was electrical engineering, I moved quickly into software development. And while I appreciate learning about project product management for software. Personally, in my career, I found the best lessons came from people that were doing physical products, right? They, they had a harder, more restrictive environment. And I remember talking to the guy that was doing roof products for commercial buildings or the person making, and I learned a lot from, from the way they think about product management. And so regardless of our discipline, I think it's useful to look at how this works in other places and why I very much wanted to talk about hardware development with you. Well, thank you. I appreciated uh, having the time to talk with you, Chad. Yeah. And how can people find out about the work that you're doing, other resources you have available? You can always find me on LinkedIn, um, active there. Our website at uh, aspireinnovation.com is available and love to have more conversations about uh, what everybody is up to and, and how we can help you in the development of products, especially physical ones. Excellent. Thank you so much. And again, listeners, if you want to have the detailed written notes of everything we talked about, plus a one-page action guide to go back and put these concepts into action, you'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 354. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, 
creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.